Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Welcome to church. It's good to see you all. Um, it's good to be here. I had such a tense night last night, um, as I'm sure many of you did. Who had a really tense night last night? Anyone? Who screamed more at the TV last night than you have in a long time? Anyone? All right. Who said things that you're not allowed to say in church at the TV? I knew it. I knew it. Thank you for your honesty. Yes, that was intense. Penalty shootouts, whatever the ridiculousness of that method of deciding who's the best team might be, are so good for the fans. Hey, you, you try to finish a World Cup game by just like dropping players off or like, hey, who was the closest to scoring a goal? Any other way other than a penalty shootout, you will absolutely lose something incredible. And it's the tension that comes in that moment of that one-on-one with that striker, with that shooter, and that goalkeeper, and everyone watching that moment, right? That is wild. That has nothing to do with what I'm preaching, but I just wanted to relate to you all in that, and I felt like that it was something worth talking about because it. Clara was yelling at the TV, which never happens on any level, and she hates football, so it's amazing. We're talking about God as a father tonight, so let's kick off with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So we're going to be exploring this prayer over the next little while, and it's definitely a a foundation of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, so the things in this prayer. And I get the privilege of talking about two words in this prayer, our Father. And I know that seems, um, you know, it's like, oh, that's like dear John. Um, But actually, I'm super stoked about this because the Father heart of God in my life has been one of the most pivotal, transformational things that I've experienced. But as I was preparing this, I just, I spent a lot of time in prayer and asking God, all right, what do you want for tonight? Like, what's your vision for this message? And I really felt him steering me away from all the things that that I've experienced from him and into some new things, which is really exciting because, you know, as someone who's been preaching or doing ministry for quite a while, it's, it's really exciting when something that you feel like, oh yeah, I have a grasp on this. And then God's like, hang on, actually, we're going to switch it up and we're going to do this a little bit differently. So I'm not going to share a testimony tonight, which is going to be weird because I normally do about this particular thing, but I just want to dive deep into some characters in the Bible, some people who experience the Father heart of God and their response to that. So the first one that we're going to explore is in Psalm 23. And in this, I just want to like set in our mind this picture of God as a father standing in front of us. And I, I think that this picture of a dad who's steady, you think of maybe like a tradie, Or something like that. The guy who's been working his whole life, Kent, you're the perfect example, I reckon, of a man who is steady. Like, I reckon you probably couldn't surprise Kent with much. 
This guy, he's just, all right, we'll handle that. No problem. We'll get it done. So that's what we're going to look at today. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close behind me. God as a father is doing something really special and unique with all of us. And it's unique because we're all different. We all have different understandings of God, different experiences of God, different life experiences. So what God's doing with us as individuals is unique. But what will happen if you walk with God as a father is that he will take you to a destination that for you is like green meadows. It's like peaceful and still waters. This picture is really unique because David, the guy who wrote this, spent his early formational years as a shepherd. And if you, anyone know anything about sheep? Anyone? A couple people? They don't really like loud noises. They don't really like big, like the service tonight. While it's great for us, sheep would probably freak out a little bit with all the drums going and everything loud. What they like is peace and quiet. And, you know, the streams that they drink from, they will not drink from a rushing wild river. They need still calm. And so what, what's, what's happening here is God is leading us each as individuals to the unique place where we can be fed and loved in the way that we can receive. Because that's different for all of us. Some of us are extroverts and we're like, if God's leading me to a place that I can feel loved and appreciated and cared for, if he's being a father to me in that way, then I'm going to be in a large crowd of people. We're going to be partying. It's going to be wild. We're going to go to the Knights game. It's going to be fun. And some of us are like, no. If God's leading me to a place that I can receive his love and feel safe and secure, it's going to be on top of a mountain where my phone doesn't work where it's just me and the backpack and whether or not I packed food to survive. Like, that's where I'm going to experience peace. That's where I'm going to be filled. That's where I'm going to have plenty. And the beautiful thing about God as a father is there's always going to be more than enough. He's always going to provide that as we walk with him. Now, I know that some of us have been in times of our lives where we don't feel like there's more than enough. Hey, can anyone relate to like, I don't feel like there's more than enough right now. I can definitely relate to seasons like that, whether it's in missions for me or whether it was just emotionally. I'm like, I do not have enough emotional strength to deal with the situation. There are times when we don't feel like there is enough, but... That's what the next little bit deals with. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Back on the theme of sheep, the rod and the staff bit. Now, that can sound a bit odd to us. Like somebody with a stick does not seem very comforting. But 
What he's saying is, a shepherd would use a stick as a sheep's wandering about to fall off a cliff or something because sheep are not very smart, relatable. The shepherd would take that stick and just sort of nudge the sheep back into the right path. Now, some of us think if he's got a stick, he's beating the sheep with a stick. That's not what's happening. That's not what God's like. That's not what Father God is like. He just gently nudges you into the direction, into the place that's safe. And that's a really cool thing. Sometimes we do wonder, and there are many stories in the Bible about God leaving the 99 sheep in a safe place and running after the one. And he'll do that if we decide to go you know, off book, go AWOL. He'll absolutely come after us. But in this, I think that as a father, God gently guides us if we're willing to be guided. And I think the more that we resist against that, you know, he's pretty strong, so we're probably not going to win that fight. But I think the beauty is he's not going to start striking us with a stick. He just guides us gently. But I also love that he doesn't just let us completely wander because he could. We could talk about, oh, like he's just like, oh, a good father. You know, he's really nice. He's really caring, but he just lets me do whatever I want. Who thinks they're going to turn out to be the best individual in the room if that's what dad's like? Anyone? Now, we need guidance. We need help. Left to my own devices, I would eat way too many Tim Tams, play way too much PlayStation, watch way too much soccer. The only reason, the only thing that would keep me from being completely obsessed with PlayStation and Tim Tams is the fact that I like to play soccer. So God guides us. He directs us. He moves us in that way. And I think that in the middle of pain, what the author is saying here, in the, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. In the middle of pain, in the middle of fear, in the middle of whatever we're going through, he feeds us and he raises us up and calls us his children. This saying, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. For David, that's something that actually happened to him. Someone came and dumped you know, a container full of oil on his head. That probably doesn't sound great to all of us, but what that meant was he was literally anointed as the next king of Israel which is pretty wild. That was totally by God. The guy was out in a sheep paddock, and then he was anointed as king of Israel. That is a wild step up. Like, that is crazy. And I think for us, sometimes we feel like we're just stuck out in the middle of a sheep paddock. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God as a father has anointed your head with oil. You're his children, and that means you're royalty. That means you mean a lot at the very least to him, but it also means if you accept his guidance, if you accept where he wants to lead you, then the place you're going to go to is a place of responsibility, which I think is pretty powerful and pretty cool. And it ends up that we're in this place of steadiness, experiencing the steady guidance of the Father, that we end up, as David said, my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. There's this sense in this passage and in this story that no matter how wild it gets, he's safe. No matter how crazy things are, he can trust the steadfast love and goodness of God. And his end result, his end conclusion of his experiences of God as a father is, Goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. If this is what my dad is like, if he's this kind, if he is so dedicated to leading me to a place where I can be fed, where I can receive goodness, where I can grow, where I can learn, man, 
Surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what it does, knowing this, it gives us this sense of, wow, I can trust completely, and I can rest where I'm at. The second thing I want to explore is the security of God's love and Father heart for us. The passage that we're going to be exploring over the next little while, I'm cheating a little bit here, I'm sorry, Sue, says, our Father who art in heaven. So I'm going to use that a little bit. Is that okay? All right, I'm going to do it. Something very unique about this statement, our Father in heaven. Where is heaven? Anyone have an idea what this is talking about? In heaven. Is that like just somewhere nobody knows where heaven's at? The Father's house? Yes. Who lives in the Father's house? The Father lives in the... So the presence of God. Our Father in the presence of God. That doesn't make any sense unless we're talking about the spiritual realm. Which is while our Father who is in the spiritual realm. So our Father who's closer to us than our physical father could be. Our father who is more aware of us than our physical father could possibly be. Our father who's in the spiritual realm, who knows my soul. This is a deep knowing. This is like, the you know, dads, they know their kids. Like some, sometimes it, it doesn't really... It's not that apparent because dads are often happy to just watch a little chaos. I'm, I'm going to be a ridiculous dad. That's just the truth. Claire and I have talked about this. People are like, oh, we want our kids to behave. I'm like, just let them loose. <laughs> just let those, let those guys have fun. I'm, that's, that's where I'm on. That's, that's why I'm a youth pastor because I love it. I'm just let, it, let them enjoy life. So I think God is a little bit like that because even in the moments when I'm not like him or where I may be turned far away from him, he's still right there, close to my soul. Even when I don't want to be close to him, he chooses to be close to my soul. And that's what we're going to look at now. Same guy who was the shepherd and knew about the closeness of God and how he would lead us and how he was steady. He said this, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You seek me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it. How many people in our lives know us like this? Like some of us might have one person who could come pretty close. You know, man, you know, you know what I'm going to say before I say it. You know my thoughts. You know where I'm going to go and when I'm, when I'm going to wander. You predict when I'm going to do something ridiculous. You know me that intimately. And that's pretty cool if you have one person in your life who knows you similar to that. But the amazing thing is, he says this, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. The thing is, if someone knows you that intimately, the person who knows you really well, they know your weaknesses. They know where you fall short. And as much as that person that you have that knows you really intimately, it might be a spouse, might be a best friend, might be a parent, 
God knows you so much deeper than that. He's so aware of all of our motivations, of all of the things that drive us, of every thought that we've had that's not good, of every moment that we've been in abject rebellion against all things good, and we're like, I just want to watch it burn. All of those moments, he sees them, and he sees those broken things. And what he does is he places a hand of blessing on your head. And I think if we're really honest, those people who see us all the time, they do not always feel like placing a hand of blessing on our heads. Anyone relate to that? You're like, I'm pretty sure they were thinking about placing a hand of cursing on my head. Like it was about to be not great. But God chooses, the Father chooses to place a hand of blessing on us, even though he knows the deep, ridiculous brokenness that can exist within our souls. I think that's a pretty good dad. Not only does he place that hand of blessing, in that idea of placing a hand of blessing, that refers back to the anointing. It's like not only does he love us, but again, remember, he anoints us as royalty. It's not just, hey, I like you, kid. It's okay. It's you're going to be something someday. You're going to be something amazing someday. In fact, here's a crown for you to wear. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down into the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Now, you could read this and be like, that's a little creepy. Um, Will you stop following me around? Leave me alone. Give me some space. But what I want us to think about is this idea of, you know, that person who's super close with us, who knows us super well, probably there is something that you could do that they would say to you, I can't even look at you right now. You know, the most broken or abject thing that you could do, people all around the world who've been broken and hurt for a long time start to hurt other people. Sometimes we do that in our own lives. And I think that in those moments of our darkest, most disgusting attitude or behavior, that person closest to us would probably say, I don't even want to talk to you right now. And if people really knew all that's within us, man, that might be the reaction. But even then... God does not stop looking at us. He doesn't turn away. He still keeps his eyes on us. Eyes that say, hey, I love you, kid. And uh, you're going to be something someday. And I think that's pretty powerful and pretty amazing. Because sometimes the reality is we look away from ourselves. We're like, I cannot even deal with how ridiculous I am right now, sometimes in depression or anxiety or fear or just general bitterness that we have towards ourselves or realizing how broken we are. We turn away from ourselves. We abandon ourselves. But he says, no, even in your darkest moment, I'm not going to give up on you. And David says right here, I think this is amazing, I could ask the darkness to hide me. (laughs) He's like, I could make a deal with the devil. (laughs) I could literally say to the darkness, hey, will you like ruin me? Will you? He's not just saying I could make a mistake and you would still love me. You would still be with me. You would still put a crown on my head. He's saying, you know what? I could willfully choose 
to do the most wicked thing I can imagine. And still, as my father, you would still say to me, I love you, kid. You're going to be something someday. Here's a crown for you. You know, the crazy thing about God is that even in all this, this makes him sound, you know, almost like a pushover. Who, who feels that? Like in this space, like, well, well what's, what is that? Like, out of, you do all these amazing things and you're so kind and loving and I can just be the worst person in the world. And, and what, what is that? And that is an amazing thing. And that's a thought like, oh, is God a pushover? Not really, because if you give your heart to him and if you trust him, if you trust him as a father, he does this amazing thing in guiding you where he invites you into a wild adventure. And it's in this place that you find the strength of God that you need to keep going. Because when you start to say, you know what, even in my brokenness, I set that aside and I look at you, God, as my father and I trust you. I trust the goodness that you have for me. He invites us into a pretty hectic adventure of living a good life where he says, hey, go here and do this, or talk to that person. Sometimes the wildest adventure you'll ever have is just talking to a stranger. Hey, you meet some wild people if you're just willing to strike up a conversation with a stranger. I've met some people on planes. Anyone ever met someone unique on a plane? I mean, Ken, someone has met you, which would have been a unique thing to meet, a unique person to meet on a plane. Yeah, I've got eight kangaroos over there. Like, how many people experience that? The beautiful thing about God is the adventures that he calls us on, they're not always safe, but they're always steady and they're always secure when you're close to him. I've got a quote here from one of my favorite writers who's read a bit of C.S. Lewis. Anyone? Oh, so good. So I'm going to read a quote from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the lion in this, foreshadowing, that's God we're talking about. So Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I would thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And I think our Father God, you want to know how unsafe God is? Hurt someone he loves. He does not like it when that happens. He protects the ones he loves. David, when a lion tried to take his little lambs, does anyone know how that went for the lion? Well, it's a rug now. Exactly. That's what happened to the lion. And David was just 14, 15 years old. How much more does God protect and care for the ones that he loves? And now when I'm talking about this, I'm not saying that if you have an enemy, that God's going to turn them into a rug. Please do not hear that at all. What I'm saying is our greatest adversary is Satan and God will bring vengeance against him. And if it's not Satan, it's sin. It's our own brokenness in our lives. And the greatest vengeance over sin is to bring restoration and life to something that was broken and unfixable. And that's what God does. So even the darkest thing, God turns to light. And that's the kind of father he is. So for the darkness, 
he's not safe. But he is really fun. So I want to finish on this. I know that we've been super serious and like kind of, uh, but I just like, as I was praying about this this week, I was like, God, what is the thing that you are that makes you different to anything else when it comes to being a father? Because fathers are like, they're amazing figures and mothers as well. I think it's like the parenting of God. But when you think about different religions and how they teach about God or gods and those things, I'm like, wow, what is the thing about God that sets him apart? And for me, it's that after he makes me whole, after he heals me, after he brings life, he's also still fun. So we're going to read a story about God having a bit of fun. It gets, it's dark at first because we all mess up and then God fixes us. So Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Finally, he came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he went home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I think there are so many ways that story could have gone. And there are so many ways in our lives that our story goes when we decide, hey, I know how to run my life better than you, God. Or your fatherhood of me, it's nice and it's cool, but I just want to go have fun. So that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to take my inheritance, which we all have an inheritance of God. That's your gifts. That's who you are, your personality, everything that you are. That's your entire being. And we can take that inheritance and go do whatever the heck we want with it. We have that right. That's what the father in this story does. He says, you know what? Your inheritance is yours. You can use it however you want to use it. And the son said, all right, I'm going to use it on partying and doing all these things. And he ended up using his inheritance, his gifts, his talents, everything that he had to feed pigs. If that's something that you want to do, if you're a pig farmer, I'm not attacking that profession at all. But I think that this young man had greater potential than that. He had greater potential than throwing it all away and just living off of the worst. And I think the father had the best in store for him. And so as he runs home, his father could have taken a lot of different avenues of approach to this. I think most of us would be tempted to at least, you know, so how'd that work out for you? 
you know, something like that. Or maybe, yeah, you can work for me for a couple of weeks just to make sure you mean it, you know, not just, you know, I wonder, maybe he's just like coming back trying to take something. But no, 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 that's not what the father did. He said, you know what? We're going to have a party. It's going to be the biggest thing since Ben-Hur. We are going to have a good time. Get the robe, get the ring, start the barbecue. We are going to celebrate. Why? Because I've been watching for my son to come home. I've been watching for my daughter to come home. I've been waiting. I've been looking. My eyes haven't stopped looking for him. And now that he's home, we are going to party. So as we go through this series, we go through what's next. I just want us to start with, in our minds, the truth that God the Father is steady and consistent, and He has our best interests at heart, that we can rest in the steadfast nature of how He leads us, and that He's with us. He's our Father in heaven. He's with us all the time. And no matter how broken we are, no matter how much we're trying to hide from Him, no matter how empty we feel, He is there, and He is with us, and He does not turn his face away. And he's ready to party. He's ready to have a good time. That was his plan. When, when my son comes home, he wasn't going to berate his son. When my kid comes home, we're going to party. God is so with us. He's so for us. And I just believe that in our hearts and our lives, some of us haven't necessarily believed in the steadfast, like, I can trust this leading, this guiding of God. I can trust that when he comforts me by directing me in one way or another, that it's going to be good. And I just want to remind you that he is leading you somewhere that to you will feel like green meadows and still waters. And for some of us, there's this sense that in our lives, God has abandoned us. God is not with us. Maybe that's because we've actually turned our backs on him. But even then, I want us to hold in our hearts that he has not turned his face away. And if that's you, this is a space for you right now to just, just do what the prodigal son did and run home. Because there is a feast waiting for you. And as we go into this next series, as we talk about everything that God does for us and how to pray, how to impact the world around us, let's go into it knowing this about God, knowing that He is a Father, and He's good, and He loves us, and that He says to us, I love you, kid. You're going to do great things. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.